You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 601, Spotify's greatest hits, farewell to the hipster cereal cafe, selling Freddie Mercury by the pound, and bands at war. That's all coming up after the smithereens and behind the wall of sleep. better way to get us underway than a new jersey slice of power mm. pop number eight on the uk indie chart when that still it still meant something from mm. 1986 the smithereens and behind the wall of sleep very good enjoy that always nice to hear some new joysy pop <laughs> exactly welcome to the parish council it's episode 601 mm. i'm terence dackham and well is all the speculation in the media true? Is she replacing Tucker Carlson at Fox News? <laughs> Let's ask Juliet Harris. Do you know, the phone's not rung yet, but I oh. suspect that, you know, that they, they've got a lot to do, you know, keeping oh. him calm. They need, I presume they need to find the tranquilizer gum to suit some darts <laughs> in him to calm him down. And then presumably, yes, my, they will be calling me next. I, I think it was the comedian Angela Barnes that talked about sort of tautology and contradictions in terms. And she, you know, two things, it's something that, that can't quite exist in itself. Lad culture was one example she gave. And uh, Fox News was another uh, mm. sort of contradiction itself there but anyway good morning everybody 
Tucker Swanson McNear Carlson. Great. What only only an American could be called. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And also, why not just be Tucker Swanson? You know, that is that it's is. A great, oh, yeah, there's yeah, a lot great. to be said for that as a full name. You know, we don't get Dancing with the Stars over here. It's the American no, version of Just no. Come Dancing. I, I just can't believe that he apparently appeared on that in 2006. Obviously, was the first to yes. be eliminated. But uh, picturing Tucker Carlson on on Dancing with the Stars is a, is a difficult. Uh, difficult mix I it's think, a but... big ask isn't it mm. really some really random people have been on that yeah. over there i mean it's you know here we, we we've set into a pattern now aren't we of you know yes. of, news of readers yes yeah, so yeah news readers where the people someone from casualty that you've not heard of mm. someone from hollyoaks you've not heard of uh, some genuine sports stars usually as well and then you know perhaps someone from this morning it's all yeah, it's all it's it. all you know it, it's all pretty rote isn't it mm. oh and maybe a faded pop star as well exactly who never wins because everyone is angry yeah. about the fact that they've entered and is at a disadvantage mm. one of the side effects of the revolution of streaming music is it's now a simple matter to find out mm. which artists and songs are most popular in individual countries around the world and i was intrigued this week to see that spotify has published the latest stats um, of these biggest earners and initially I thought oh I'll turn this into a quiz for you the listener mm. and you the Juliet but I, <laughs> the I, Juliet I, like the Donald <laughs> from, from America <laughs> but I realized the results uh, the answers are so bizarre mm. and in some ways unexpected that it would be easier just to, to talk about them so we, mm. we mentioned a, a year or two ago about how here in the UK that the killer's Mr. Brightside yes. has spent... Well, that really is the bindweed of the it's chart. It's extraordinary. Pop, it? 358 weeks in the UK Top 100 singles charts since its release in 2004. Mm. It's still there at number 62 this week. So... No Mad, isn't it? <laughs> it, it's crazy. It's no surprise it's the biggest earner in the UK from Spotify, also generating more than a million quid in royalties for the uh, the uh, American popular music group. Um, it's become this ineffable part of British sort of night out culture. I was talking about this with someone the other day. How if you are in a club somewhere and there is a Hindu or a stag do or hmm. something or, or a wedding, I DJed at a wedding once and missed. Mr. Brightside filled the floor. I've um, I ended up buying the seven-inch single of Mr. Brightside. I paid about I believe it's now worth sort of around sixty pounds. I think this is just a one seven-inch single. Can I say? Because whenever I was DJing on vinyl somewhere, <laughs> I would always be asked for it if I was doing some sort of works do, some sort of you know family party. I mean, I I hate to criticise the good people of Britain for whom I've DJed, but if you're DJing events where people go because it's a party, so because it's a family wedding, because it's a works do. If you go to those sort of things, you're not playing for a crowd who's, how can I put this politely, whose first priority is music, by and large. And Mr. Brightside is, in my experience, very much liked by people whose first priority is not music. Mm. We, I mean, we suspected that its popularity, when we talked about it a couple of mm. years ago, was because it pops up on so many compilation playlists and as yes. well as what you've just said. But yeah. I've noticed that... Um, I look this week. I was doing some research. Mr. Brightside has been analysed by Norberto Griswold, professor of neuroscience at Georgetown Ooh, University in Washington. Wow. And he says that the song has um, tension and a harmonic surprise, and that the release of that tension is signalled positively by the reward centres in the brain, causing it to be popular around the world. So thanks, Doctor. Um, well, that is, that's good to know. And by the yeah. way, I've just looked, just done a quick bit, quick bit of on the fly research for the current value for my fellow record collectors. Um, yes. For for the seven inch single of Mr. Brightside, for which I think I paid twenty, either twenty or twenty five pounds, I played much paid much more than I usually would for mm. a seven inch single. But I had this sixth sense that I needed it. Um, at the moment, there are fourteen for sale on Discogs. The lowest priced is sixty five pounds. Um, last sold on the twenty first to third of February twenty twenty three. The lowest it has sold for is forty nine pounds. The highest it has sold for is one hundred and eighteen pounds sixty seven. Medium price. 64 pounds 50 so that's roughly what you would expect to pay wow. for a for a version a similar thing happened with my uh, with my seven inch of song two by blur that is worth an ineffable amount of money now 
mad, some it? peculiar results uh, yes George, post malone appears to to dominate around the world with some yes. it's the most popular song in the u.s and canada for example mm. lady gaga's shallow in that, that's winds in iceland louis someone you loved in in ireland that- the the, the weekend is yeah. really popular in Eastern Europe. James Arthur wins in Singapore. Which Tom is a bit, that's in a bit... Saudi. <laughs> Ed Sheeran in Malta. None of it seems to make sense or follow a pattern, Jules. No, it doesn't really. Only that, you know, people really like big ballads, I think, is probably the pattern for this. Interestingly, there's a chart. Um, there's a, I use iTunes, Apple, Apple Music, um, quite often. And they do top 100 songs every day it's updated every day in in they do them by city in the uk but also in the uk in general and i tell you what terence it is a fascinating yet also slightly terrifying glimpse into britain's <laughs> psyche every single day because it's a weird mix of like mm. i mean mr brightside inevitably of is course. in there it's a weird mix of like very current new stuff some of which is quite good and also you know there are certain there are certain songs in the past everywhere by Fleetwood Mac um is is omnipresent seems to appear there are certain Sweet Caroline that is very often in there there are certain songs like Mr Brightside that just will not go away it's really hmm. strange isn't it and like you say very weird that um that uh the neighbourhood sang a sang a song called Sweater Weather which was a very rock song. For the US, also a huge owner in Poland and Romania. Isn't it odd how certain countries take songs to their hearts? So, some of this is, is I don't know if it applies now. Mm. I went on holiday to Milan with a friend of mine for a sort of a mini city break. In I'm trying to remember what it would have been. About 2008, I reckon, roughly around that time. And we were very struck by um, Italian MTV in general, which, you know, the presenting was incomprehensible and not, not just because we didn't speak Italian, I think. I think there were other parts that also didn't translate. But there was a very small pool of songs on Italian MTV that constantly got played. And sometimes I wonder if stuff is is big in Europe simply because it just gets picked up by Italian MTV. So we constantly heard um, Another Point of View by DB Boulevard. That was constantly played. And um, Plain White Tees, Hey Delilah, which was Hey There Delilah, which was a bit of a one hit wonder. That was played constantly when we were in when we were in in Italy Mm. wherever you went you heard it so maybe it's something to do with that I don't know Mm. but yes who knew Tom Adele who had some success at the early part of his career here I think he got a Brit award a new talent Brit award or something quite early on he had a song that was constantly played on Radio Mm. 1 I seem to remember is now big in Saudi who knew it is extraordinary, isn't it? Because uh, no offence to, to Mr. Odell, but he could no. probably walk down Oxford Street in oh, London and, and not be yes. recognised. And yet, as soon as he gets off a plane in Saudi Arabia, crowds of people are, are waiting to uh, adore him. It's the most extraordinary thing. It's very strange. Elton John as well, his Cold Hearts, the Penal remix, um, came out on top for 12 other countries, but made the most in Mexico with £481,996. It's it's. What, what I like as well is that they've divided all into different sort of um, genres. So like Latin charts, which I know nothing about. Um, you can make a um, the Spotify also have released a new tool called their Niches Playlist tool. <laughs> where you, and I think we could, I think we could have a lot of fun with this uh, too. Where you can make <laughs> your own playlist, and I sort of do this anyway, based on very specific things. Um, there are, you can make um, these mixes. I think you'll very much enjoy. Angry Whistling is a niche playlist that you can make, <laughs> as is Sad Cooking. So I love the fact that, you know, if you're feeling a bit sad and you've got to cook, there is a playlist out there for you. <laughs> well, talking of, of food, I checked. It's nearly eight years since we, we talked about those twee hipster brothers who opened oh, the yes! Serial Killer Cafe. Yes, indeed. In, in, I was sceptical of at first, but went on to rather admire, actually. Well, well they with, with their... um. 100 different varieties of cereal, 12 mm. kinds of milk and 20 toppings. Sadly, Jules, 
we have to bring this update and report that mm. the London branches have now closed down. But bizarrely, uh, they now have serial cafes. The two they've got left are in Dubai and Qatar. Does um, not surprise <laughs> me at all. That really is. And my apologies. I am going to go hold on this. My apologies for any of our listeners that enjoy going out those places. But that is exactly the sort of infantile thing I would expect mm. to thrive amongst the people that go to go to uh, go to Dubai. It would appear from their website because they've been sending a lot through their website as well, which I think is perhaps a rather shrewd oh, idea. Right. That appears to be closing down as well, because when you log into the website, it says closing down sale. Everything oh, must Lord. go. I mean, I, I, I can see see it was an interesting niche idea it was always going to be friendly for tourists who have more money than sense hence why we've ended up in qatar and dubai no offense to anybody but you know what i'm saying and and actually i think like a lot of these things covid is just the common the, the one yeah. two killer sucker punch of covid followed by the, the energy bills crisis when people and and you know and, and rising costs and what we're calling greedflation generally which i think we'll be talking about in a minute in a mm. different context mm. just seems to have really done in a lot of a lot of things so so i'm sorry that the cereal cafe it was it was actually quite a cute idea um i'm sorry that it hasn't worked out having walking through central london recent fairly recently and seeing the rise of these american and foreign sweet shops particularly mm. in places like carnaby street um which just seem to be a massive tax dodge to me. I think there's been pieces written about this. How there has indeed. There's, there's a very else. shady side. Yes, absolutely. And actually, the serial killer cafe could have been put into that. But actually, I don't think it was. So, yeah. so you know, I'm I'm sorry that it hasn't worked out for them. It's quite a sweet idea. But um, but yeah, like you say, Qatar and Dubai is probably the future for these places. I, I see from the the closing down sale just very quickly before we move on. Um, they're closing down down sale. You can still order. Oh, it just makes me want to feel ill thinking about it. cereal lip balm. Oh, in, yeah, no, no, chocopotamus, no. banana, <laughs> and apple pie flavors. And um, which I think I'll I'll, I'll pass on, on on those. So you can still order boxes of cereal from them at outrageous prices. But you uh, can. I mean, you can order. So the, I find this rather alarming. I must say, apologies to people that were in nervous disposition. You can now buy for two pounds fifty a box of cereal that is called Sugar Daddy. And I regret to inform you God. that the box features a rather buffed up Father Christmas prefer, mm. with with his uh, top undone, preferring preferring a a, a, a box yeah. of cereal to you so what can i say it's um perhaps you know i wish them well in many senses i don't really want sugar daddy cereal the pokemon cereal is sold out i regret to inform oh, no, that's quite so a lot of these shame. cereals are i think we're stuck with sugar daddy cereal frosted flake strawberry milkshake which is now reduced to 6.95 instead of 9.95 and some cheerio oats and honey which is four pounds fifty so um so the sugar daddy cereal is the most cost effective from what i can see farewell to the pricey cereal fad it seems coming next pj harvey's pension strategy (laughs) (laughs) mary austin sells the legacy of freddie mercury that's right after Bridget Bardot. Un météorite m'a percé le cœur. Vous sur la terre, vous avez des docteurs. Transfusion de mercure J'en ai tant perdu par cette blessure Spatiale. Retirez-moi cette poussière sidérale. Contact. 
me faut à tout prix Rejoigne mon amour dans la galaxie etc. I've been listening to a lot of French music recently. I've been enjoying, I enjoy its kind of vibe and that is great. It's taken, well, I I came across it years ago, but I've recently been re-listening to a lovely compilation that was released a couple of years ago. I regret to inform you, Terence, it's a limited release on funny coloured vinyl, Um, but it's worth, it's worth trying to seek out. It's called Pop Psychedelique and it's a sort of collection of French pop, vaguely weird pop music from well, a, a sort of from the 60s to the present day. And it's 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 a sort of four four sided affair and it, it covers a lot of ground very well. And that is on it. So I thought having enjoyed eating tartiflette and listening to French music last night, like the pretentious so and so that we all know I am. That is a contact by Brigitte Bardot or contact, as she would say. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a tricky line to be drawn when musicians offer special editions of their work yes uh, that, that line teeters between giving fans something extra and mm. gouging those same fans as they are encouraged right. to pay over the top prices for something of seemingly little intrinsic value um and like in my opinion record store day they mm. only bring about a full sense of that value so that yes uh, a, a pink colored vinyl album yes. a limited edition say um and it, you know it's 100 copies then sell um you know to the public for 50 quid and then turn up on ebay a day later oh, with bits starting at a thousand pounds this so, this year this year is particularly vexatious uh, no, issue no, with that was well, so, no and and it's it's become about that really having tried and failed to help somebody find a copy of a rap album by the um by the restless randy macho man savage um and not been successful in that this year's particularly vexing record store day ripoff was um and this makes me particularly sad actually and a, a, a dj friend of mine was um mm. was posting about this there was a lovely the, the children's tv program bluey which i think i might have praised on this mm. podcast before a, a, an australian family of dogs um it's it's one of those cartoons that is made for the parents as much as it is the kids and it's very entertaining they released a picture disc of songs from bluey because bluey does a lot of classical music so they did which is delightful looking compilation which had like a zoeotrope effect on the um on the vinyl um it was on sale i think for 25 pounds which is about the going rate for vinyl albums nowadays really i didn't think that was unreasonably priced um the lowest uh it was sold out you know lots of places you know you could imagine it's something that parents would buy for their kids that kids would want one of the very few records that is actually aimed at small children um and then of course they all turn up on ebay and the lowest priced one we could find on ebay there was one seller to their great credit on ebay that was selling it at 24.95 otherwise the cheapest we saw was 80 quid and and for a record that is aimed at small children that is particularly upsetting it turns music into a commodity um does George, you and I both admire PJ Harvey in your case you know your love knows no boundaries but um (laughs) Just Polly Jean isn't beyond mm. walking that tightrope that we're talking about between yes. special editions and potentially, well, let's just say overpricing for fans. Yes, indeed. It's uh, it's what could I say? It's punchy pricing to say mm. that to say the least. So I think we've talked about it in the podcast previously that she um over the last two or three years, there's been a reissue campaign that started during during the first COVID lockdown, um, where all of the albums have been reissued in sequence on vinyl, and each album came accompanied with a separate release, which was demos, which were really good actually. They started mm. off being quite interesting, and then it's it's, it, it's interesting to find that as you got you know more to the present day, the demos sort of become more like the albums really it's mm, really interesting sure. to hear that she got a much better idea i think of what she wanted but um as, uh, there was always a limited edition drop on her website each time um and crazed people including me worked for the pattern out where where a, a limit the first record that was released there was a limited amount of signed copies which i managed to get hold of one um 
So, and then it became that, it, that there was a signed lyric card. So they reproduced the lyrics that she'd written by hand for an album on card, and then she would sign a certain number and and you would be able to get them. Now, the so when we were going through that process, the price of a, of a vinyl album, so you get the demos, the relevant demos album on vinyl, and this thing included mm. was £38, which... You'd think, okay, that's quite dear. But having said that, a vinyl album is about 25 to 30 quid nowadays. Anyway, it's not very, you have to pay postage, but it's not very much mm. considering you've got this signed thing of which there genuinely weren't very many. So the, the biggest vexation about that was getting on the website yeah. what everyone else did to get one. That became a bit okay. of a bun run. But you think, okay, that's fine. So she's got a, a new album due out in July. Great news. Everybody is very pleased. Really looking forward to that. Um, and I happened to be online when the announcement came out on Tuesday evening and they said, oh, there will also be some limited edition lyric cards signed. All oh, great. Mm, OK, yes. so I go onto the website Um, they're not paired with the albums this time. OK, I mean, you know, a bit surprised by that. So mm. having previously paid £38 for an album, the lyric card, if I'd wanted to buy a lyric card, naturally, I might, I might have considered it. You know, I've got several mm. now framed mm. in the hall, but I thought, well, let's, you know, could, could have another. This is from the new album, of course. You know, we haven't heard yet. Um, £80 for oh, an individual dear, lyric dear, card. Dear. And you just, and I just, I, I genuinely don't know what the rationale is behind this. I mean, it's, it's, it just seems. So you're basically being, and £7.50 postage. So you're basically being asked to pay more than double for something which yes it's lovely that it's signed but mm-hmm. is comes with no other product i'm i'm not sure who this is serving i mean you could argue maybe that because when all the, the signed records came out initially um i think they i think they'd originally planned to sign for her to sign records each time but covid meant because where she lives in the west country it was difficult to get the records down and back whereas with the lyric sheets they can at least be mailed i suppose they were i think they turned into postcards at one point as well it's not a great look and and, and pj harvey seems like a lovely person so it's she odd does. as you say that these expensive items are offered i mean bottom line of course it's easy to say if you don't yes. like the concept don't buy in buy it i mean this will tie us in with the news this week that freddie mm. mercury's lifelong friend mary austin is auctioning an enormous collection of items mm. he, he left his house and its contents to her when he died in um, 1991 mm. now the connection between mary austin and queen as an entity is a complicated one mary austin originally dated brian may which mm. was how she met Freddie Mercury and became living pals with mm. him. But there's always been an awkwardness between Mary Austin and the rest of Queen, and, mm. and this reached crisis levels over her depiction in the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, which uh, she she tried to stop. Mm. And um, but who who knows what has generated the need or did did. did the um, mm. desire for this sale. Jules, you may be interested in some items. A portrait by the French painter Tissot, estimated mm. for, at, at the bidding to start at around half a million quid. Mm. Um, I mean, to be honest, given that I can't afford 80 quid for a PJ Harvey oh, lyric sheet, I'm not sure so. this is going to be in my budget. We've got to do it's more in my budget. Well, I've got handwritten lyrics. They're expected to reach over a quarter of a million mm. pounds. So prints by Matisse and Chagall. Oh, guitars. lovely. Uh, waistcoats so mm. I, i'm not sure if there's anything for you there at all George. there is his his crown i know it's the oh. replica of st edward's crown worn by king charles at the coronation which he wore caused famously on stage oh. 60 to 80 grand which i have to say whilst i'm afraid i don't have that level of finance that's probably the most interesting thing to me i must say the guitars are 30 to 50 <laughs> grand i think the waistcoats are super snazzy five to seven grand for a waistcoat oh, so maybe Lord. that's maybe that that's the budget end so t that's that's but you say it's difficult to know what prompted this isn't it really it's it's um although part of me thinks if you need money to live um you know auctioning stuff off for half a million quid i think i could live off half a million quid for about a decade really so so it's it's difficult to tell like you said there is something motivating and like you said the the vexed relationship she's had with the rest of queen is it makes it a rather complicated story really doesn't it Paul? that part of me thinks well you know he died 30 years ago you know if she has all this stuff that he gave to her surely it's it's you know 
it, it's her choice to do as she pleases with it, I guess. I mean, we might all be rather uncomfortable with it, with, you know, the members of Queen particularly might be rather uncomfortable. I can understand their point might be uncomfortable with her selling off, you know, her friend's legacy. Having said that, though, he's not here anymore, is he? Is it her job? Should she be should she be forced to be a curator of this for the rest of her life? I don't know. Having said that, though, why not donate it to to, to a museum somewhere? Well, yes, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Freddie Brian with his screechy guitar and the other two, but <laughs> it, it does seem a bit of a shame that this collection is going to be broken up and dispersed yes. all over the world. I wonder, along the same lines that you're saying, if mm. some museum, say the V&A or similar, might have purchased the lot if given the chance. Yes. And I think there would be a, well, I think there would be a market even if she needs to make money. I think mm. she could probably, this is like selling the family silver, isn't it? You can only do yes. it once. Yeah. If, if she had set up tours of the house with all this mm. stuff in place, that would have generated millions from oh, tours. Oh, absolutely, yeah. That would be a real destination. But as you say, she she owns it all, so she can do as she, she wishes. Uh, yeah, really. yeah, yeah, but I agree. It would be a shame. It would be a shame if it mm. wasn't like, um, if it was, you yeah, know, like you together. say that. But yeah, the the thought of it, but that being a destination that people could tour around, mm. it would almost, to me, it would be on a par with this sort of this the ABBA music, the ABBA of, mm. uh, holo- uh, hologram show that mm. is taking place in 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 uh, Stratford at the moment. That's attracting huge audiences. Mm. I might go at some point, and yes, it's not inexpensive, but everyone I go, I know that's gone, has absolutely raved about it. And I suspect that having the Queen collection somewhere, you know, huge, enormous fan base worldwide. That's a great idea, Satya. I hope she's mm. listening. Coming right up, farewell to Harry Belafonte mm. and Barry Humphreys and Top Band Feuds. Mm. That's next after a short walk for Pluto.
I really like the way this band mix folky vocals with guitar mm. heavy rock. It, it's like Maddie Pryor of Steel Eye Span meets The Who. They're, they're, they're from nice. Toronto. Yeah. And that was a single from the end of last year, A Short Walk to Pluto, and You're Not the Only One. Yeah, I like that a great deal. We lost a couple of good people in the last week. Mm. Harry Belafonte probably wouldn't mean much to a younger generation these days, but he was a well-known singer and actor in the 1960s. But more importantly, he took a brave stand against racism in an era when that was quite almost dangerous. And I wanted to mention him because I remembered um, an incident from the late 1960s mm. um, that you, well, how ridiculous this sounds today. I, the, 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 in the late 1960s, he appeared on an American TV show with Petula Clark. Hmm. And by the way, advertisers are trying to prevent him appearing at all because Petula Clark is white, Harry Belafonte was black. But when they sang a duet, Petula Clark gently touched Harry Belafonte on the arm. That was hmm. it. And this caused such an outcry. It was covered extensively. Goodness in the press me. Around. Oh, oh I mean, gosh. What I mean, we've come a long way since then, Jules, but mm. not far enough, I suppose. No, I entirely agree. And I've always been rather fond of Harry Bolifonte. Mm. Um, I, I, um, I nearly chose Shake, Shake, Sonora. I regret uh, not doing that for this week's podcast, which I have played live whilst DJing before. And people really enjoy it. It's a really fun record. Also, I remember sorting through some records at my gra- my late grandfather's house where my parents now live. We were trying to get rid of all of the junk that had been accumulated over years. And records would appear and people would have no knowledge of where they came from. I remember finding a 78 of the Banana Boat song by oh, Harry Belafonte. Yeah. I hope we've still got that somewhere. I think I asked for that to be saved just because it's such a great tune. I uh, Yes. But, uh, also, an incredible civil rights campaigner as well which i hadn't yes. really realized until until sort of coverage of his of his passing um yeah he seemed like an absolute delight of a person r.i.p harry Belafonte. I, I don't think they make them like that anymore we've spoken before about how we are losing those entertainers that yes. are so funny and so fixed in our hearts that mm. merely by walking on stage they could get you laughing before they said a word yes eric morecambe had it Tommy Cooper had it. Yes. And Barry Humphreys married that yes. affection with an incredibly fast wit. So when yes. we tried any fellow guest on a chat show that tried to keep up with uh, Dame Edna Everett oh, or, or even me. to try and fight back. I went to see Barry Humphreys at his farewell tour at the Palladium and he was fantastic. But many Brilliant. will remember him from a more recent TV performance when he caused hysteria by deliberately mistaking <laughs> O'Leary for Philip Schofield on ITV. Oh, brilliant. That. You're very brave. Yes. <laughs> I saw Barry Humphreys on stage. I think it might have been at the Palladium, actually, um, playing Fagin in the musical of Oliver. Ooh. Um, in the in the mid to late 90s, that production was, uh, to use the parlance of the press, troubled, I think, at that point. Oh. They kept going through various Fagans. I don't know what the collective noun for Fagans is. <laughs> guy, I'm not sure. Anyway, various people, Robert Lindsay had been Fagan for a while, I think. Oh. And we saw Barry Humphreys and excellent. And there was a lovely scene which they cut in deliberately, I think, where, you know, when, when Fagan is sat on stage before one of the big numbers, Fagan opens a lockbox. Um, you know, one of those little safe boxes yeah. uh, going through the loot, takes out a pair of diamond studded glasses, puts them on and grins and then. Yeah. takes. Yeah, that was that was great. I was very excited to see Barry Humphreys. Also very much enjoying. I can't remember which of the papers it was. The Telegraph or The Times this week underneath Barry, Barry Humphreys obituary was a letter, a very bitter letter published from Dame De Edna Everidge. Oh, yes, it was a telegraph. Suspe- yeah. Yes, which I suspect Barry Humphreys had written years ago in anticipation. Yes. Absolutely delicious, very critical of Barry Humphreys for having yes. made a laughing stock of Dame Edna. I thought that was such a wonderful way to kind of announce your own death, in a sense, by doing that. I was very entertained by that. Shows what a clever performer Barry Humphreys, Barry Humphreys was. Also, R.I.P. Sir Les Patterson as well, who is another yes, Barry, Barry Humphreys collection. Dad particularly <laughs> sad at his passing. Sir Les and Dame Edna will, of course, live in our hearts forever. My other favourite, by the way, to go off on a slight tangent, 
entertainers. Speaking of much loved entertainers that we've lost, um, John Lemessurier wrote his own death notice, which I think appeared in the Times. And I remember it finished with uh, John Lemessurier. So John Lemessurier uh, misses his friends and family very much. And I thought that was such a nice little line. So what yeah. a what a kind man. So yes, yeah. I'm very very into people being able, but having the foresight to write their own death notices and correspondence about their own death. Yes. There was a a splash piece in one of the tabloids this week about bitter girl band feuds, <laughs> which um, it came about after Jesse Nelson said that she hadn't spoken to her ex bandmates in Little Mix for two years, which I thought, mm. well, what, why should she? Why but, would you if you're not working yeah, with people it, anymore? It, I've worked with people I liked very much, but I haven't spoken to them since I left work because why would sure. I? Yeah. Anyway, the piece goes on in depth about Atomic Kitten, Destiny's Child, and our old pals, the Sugar Babes. Mm. But, I, I suspect there's no gender issue to, to ban bust-ups. You only have to look at the two ever-increasingly um, increasingly bizarre lineups of UB40. Oh, and the gosh. Even, the even stranger aspect of the twin brothers, Michael and Jay Aston, existing oh. for years now as Michael Aston's Gene Loves Jezebel and Jay Aston Gene Loves Jezebel, and they record and tour entirely separately. It's hilarious, it's isn't ultra, it? All... That's confusing for one and all. Absolutely. George, is there a gender issue in feuds in bands? Not sure there is, really. And this this Daily Mail piece, uh, quite a lot of this was, I think, trying to make a story out of not very much, <laughs> I think. Although what frustrated me about this piece was they wrote about All Saints um, splitting up. They left out the best detail. It's my favourite inter- reason for a band breaking up ever. Not musical differences. They were very much at the end of their rope, I think. And it's alleged, and, and I think they've pretty much admitted this is true, that the catalyst for All Saints splitting up the first time round was to, was going to a photo shoot and two members of, band, of the band having a stand-up row over who was going to wear a particular jacket on a rail oh, that they gosh. both wanted to wear, which was then one of those kind of, like in, you know, sort of relationships and things, mm. which starts off with you saying, why are you putting that fork there? Well, they always go, no, don't, don't, we don't put the forks there, we put them there. And then an hour later, it's like, you never listen. And, you know, it always erupts into this relationship ending row. I love the fact that All Saints split up over two people arguing over a jacket. I'm sorry that it didn't make it into this piece because that generally would have made it quite interesting and quite fun. Um, Like you say, I'm not convinced that there is a there's a gender sort of aspect to this one. By the way, um, as a little sidebar on this, when it comes to band feuds, I would very much recommend I listen to a podcast occasionally called a box of delights which is a, a a tv podcast hosted by the guardian journalist and writer julia rayside and she gets a different guest on each week she hasn't made many new episodes recently but i got into the old ones during lockdown and i would recommend them she gets a different friend who's usually a, a writer or a journalist or somebody like mm. that in or, or an actor in to speak about a moment in TV history they have enjoyed, and they're never like big moments in TV history. <laughs> so someone came on to speak about stars in their eyes. Someone else came on to speak about the, the Linda Barker destroying a woman's teapot collection on Changing Rooms. Oh, you know things yes. like that. There is an excellent episode where there was a there was a it used to be a series of documentaries on BBC Two, I think, in the nineties called Tough at the Top. Or, or or similar. Oh yes, um, I remember. About, or blood on the carpet. I think it had gone particularly badly about mm. um about businesses and business mm. changeovers. So there's an episode where Sally Hughes goes on the uh, excellent journalist and guardian to the beauty correspondence to talk about um tough at the top. Buck's Fizz. There was a falling out within Buck's Fizz. And they then attempt to get David Van Day from Dollar involved. Oh, and 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 Bobby G as well. And there's this there's this they end up on a on a, a entertaining the troops at the Falkland Islands. Absolutely disastrously. And you end up with two different versions of Buck's Fizz. If you like interband feuds. Um, it's it's very entertaining. There, there's that still a goes on to this day. Sorry to Absolutely, interrupt. Absolutely, yeah. This day. Bobby G oddly retained the name on his own mm. as Bucks Fizz. So the other th- the other three, including um, Cheryl Baker, have to yes. go out as the Fizz now. Yeah, which is ridiculous, mm. really. And you know, Bobby G refusing to wear bright. The, the highlight is Bobby G refusing to wear bright colours, saying he has to wear black because it's very slimming. So um, so it's it's every time I put a black top on. I always think oh, it's very slimming black. So, so very. So, if you can dig, I suspect this might be on YouTube. 
YouTube somewhere. I haven't looked seriously, but I suspect it probably is somewhere. Yes, when bands feud over the most ridiculous things and end up sort of falling out and, like you say, rails over the name and who has the name and that sort of thing. So um, I don't think this is a... I don't think this is a particularly female issue. Look at Oasis and the feuding brothers in Oasis. I think sometimes families and marriages are as much likely to break up bands as as anything else. Really, look at Fleetwood Mac and the the implosion of Fleetwood Mac. It's it's yeah. I I think this is the Daily Mail once again trying to scrape to make a story. I mean, you know, all band most bands fall out ultimately, don't they? It's it's or, or don't become close and lead separate lives. It becomes almost like a sort of marriage of convenience, doesn't it, really? The bands that tend to stay together happiest for longest are people like Coldplay that seem sensible enough to split their royalties equally. Mm. Which is what you two do as well. And I think yes, it's exactly. The same, the same. I think you, you spot on there. I mean, we can trace cantankerism, breakups and feuding back to the Stones and the Beatles. Yes. Pete Best, of course, was hoofed out of the Beatles yes. at a crucial moment. And that caused a schism between them all that has never been healed. Mm. And George, Paul and John all fell out with each other at various points. Between yes. 1968 and 1980. As, and then, as portrayed in the in the Get Back film, where, of course, well, George says, so. see, see you around the clubs, lads. And then, yes. and then leaves yes. at the end. Yeah. The first episode, indeed, and we had Ringo leave, leave as well, didn't we? During the yes. White Album, I think, and then returns um, to have his drum kit festooned in flowers, festooned. which then, indeed, which then, of course, Oasis recreated for "Don't Look Back in Anger," the single cover of that. So yes, you've got to always rely on Oasis to derive uh, the Beatles. Yes, and then the Stones. I mean, the, the Pete Best style treatment of Ian Stewart, their keyboard player. Yes, and the complicated departure of. Brian Jones. I think it's more about I think you're absolutely right. I think it's more about the inevitability of disagreements in the workplace exacerbated by yes. the artistic nature of the endeavour and in, in those yeah, cases exactly. the, the, the vast sums of money involved. And the vast amounts of pressure involved as well. And I'm not saying that these that these bands didn't earn a huge amount of money because, of course, they did. But mm. you end up on a treadmill, don't you, really? And actually, you get the impression, having read Ian Sinclair's excellent book about the Spice Girls called Wannabe, you just get the impression that they were just stuck. They became stuck on this treadmill, where, and particularly nowadays yeah. as well, where, no, as we've talked about the streaming off Spotify, no, you you know, you have to really be ubiquitous around the world to make any level of money off of it, really. So so touring becomes the real name of the game. And of course, that COVID really did interfere with that. But you get stuck on this kind of tour album, tour album, tour album kind of treadmill. And everyone just ends up exhausted. And guess what happens when people get really exhausted? Everyone around you annoys you and you fall out with them. So, <laughs> so you know, I don't think that is helpful. No. Thanks very much for listening this week. Um, great to have you along, as always. I, I echo the sentiments of Satie, as always. And as apparently she isn't joining Fox News, it's <laughs> safe to say Juliet will be appearing on the radio this week. I will, yes. You can find me on Sunday evenings and on Thursday evenings or Tuesday mornings doing, or Monday evenings. There's a repeat piece of smooth sailing that goes out now, apparently on Monday evenings at six, which was news to me. But anyway, um, we I do smooth sailing, which is Yacht Rock, M-O-R, A-O-R, easy listening, you know, sort of magic FM on a 50 pence budget. Uh, that's available on Mixcloud as well, mixcloud.com. If you search for Noisebox Radio, you can find the old shows on there. Noiseboxradio.com on Sunday evenings from seven if you want to listen live. I also do something called Lost for Words, which is an hour-long show of instrumentals of all and no genres. We go to some very interesting places there. Find that again on Mixcloud as well. as We're going out at eight o'clock on Thursday evenings at noiseboxradio.com. Interesting track um, you've chosen to... Um close us out this week well you know me Terence. i like to keep you awake wherever mm. i can so i was uh I, I play in something called well i say play i mean some friends have got something called a music league which you can use with an app and it's good fun actually i would recommend this if you're interested in music and you've got a group of people around you that are where you we have themes each season so people take it in turns to write themes and each week you have to pick a song that fits the theme and you can you vote on everyone else's choices and you can give up to five points for a song but you only have 20 points to award overall so it's particularly interesting if you play 
Um, so I play in a league that's got 15 people in it at the moment. So you do end up often having to make decisions not to give stuff points. And because of the circles I move into, T, one of my friends has written a mini league that's fr- that's themed around Dante's Inferno and the different <laughs> circles of hell. Right. And uh, so, so, you know, we have a lot of fun doing this. But the other the previous season, one of the themes was um sort of surprising needless um inexplicable foreign language covers and this one by some distance and it really is absolutely fantastic in my view a fairly straight cover with an arabic vocal which i i like i say i can't recommend highly enough this was originally used in the soundtrack to american hustle which i think is how a lot of people came across it it is a very 70s this sir terence you can almost smell the joysticks as you listen to it it's really great i would recommend the soundtrack as a whole but this is a uh, this is an arabic version of white rabbit by maisa karar <laughs> فالحزن طال أمضي وطارد الأرانب لكن النجاح محال نداء خافي وحائل وليل حزن محتال تنادي أرس طريق الظلمة Listening to a Parish Council production. Wake up in the morning, there's a slap around the place. Wake up in the morning, there's a crackle in your face. Wake up in the morning, there's a pop that really says, Christ, this is for you and you and you. For all the milk and listen to the stand that says it's nice. For all the milk and listen to the crackle of that rice. Get up in the morning, do the pop that says it's wise. Hear them talking, Chris. Rice Krispies. Thank you.